The series that we're in now is The Wonderful World of Family, which is about the fact that every family system has its brokenness. So I'm going to name some real family problems, and I'm going to ask you if you have been, as your family of origin, or are right now part of a family that has experienced these challenges. Now, at the end, if you have, you say, oh my gosh, that was us, that's us. At the end, when I'm done, I want you to stand. I don't want you to stand during. <laughs> I, I do this every, every few years I'll do this test or I, I take the whole church through the Ten Commandments I'll say hey when you've broken this one stand <laughs> and everybody always stands on the first one whether they've broken uh, you know put the Lord your God first because I, I ain't chancing uh, being the only one standing on number four I mean I, 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 it's, like, it's just like woo. so at the end deal now are you excited to do this <laughs> no here it is okay here, here it is and you'll see why here in a moment. If you've ever been part of a family where the children wrestled with whether or not God existed. You're a part of a family where children had spiritual doubts. Have you ever been part of a family that wrestled with insecurity, peer rejection, low self-esteem? Ever been in a family with drinking problems, drug problems, underage drinking, experimenting with drugs and sex? Unwanted pregnancy. A family where angry, bitter words got spoken on a regular basis. A family where someone was physically struck in anger. A family where a mom or a dad or both felt like a vocational failure or a financial failure. Or kids feel like failures because of their grades. Or kids who get good grades but are plagued by anxiety, depression, or stress, or the secret that they regularly cheat to bring home those grades to make people applaud them. A family where one of you comes to church but you have a spouse who doesn't. A married couple who comes and sits together and looks like they're together but they've not slept together for months, if not years. Or a family where there are young people who have never been asked on a date. And on the inside, they feel like a loser, they feel like a reject, and they're afraid to even talk about it. Or people who have been through the pain of divorce. People who have experienced abandonment by a parent or both parents. Or people who have never been married and really wonder if they really belong here or any place where it feels like you have to be married to feel whole. Families that have been rocked by sexual unfaithfulness or emotional affairs and betrayal. People that carry a secret like sexual addiction or watching internet porn and this secret eats at them and nobody knows. Or parents who feel like a failure because they have a son or a daughter who's so far from God and so far from them. Sons or daughters who feel like a disappointment because they have a parent they could never please no matter what they did because it was never enough. A childless person who hears parents complain about their kids and parenting and wonders why God keeps breaking their hearts by not giving them a little life that they could treasure. If any one of those was a part of your family of origin, your family now, would you stand up? Look around the room. You know, one of the things we have to do in church is normalize reality that everybody is part of a system that is broken. That's why God didn't send an educator. That's why God didn't send a psychologist. That's why God didn't send all these things. We, we, an economist, Lord knows we need an economist right now. That's why God didn't say, what did he send? A savior. 
because that's what we need. And today we're going to speak into the reality that's standing in this room right now, and that is all of us own brokenness. And that's why we need a Savior. So go ahead and have a seat. Because right now I want to introduce some people that are just, I just love them to death. And um, the first one that's going to come out is she is uh, the wife to Brian, the mom to Sophia and Lauren and Noah. She has a blog called Street Talk, and she is an excellent storyteller and writer, marketer. She trains people in improv. But most importantly on her resume, I believe, she has served in Southbrook Kids longer than Moses served Israel. <laughs> and she is one of our heroes around here. I'm telling you, the unspoken heroes are the ones that are back there right now loving those little sinners like Jesus, <laughs> right? And I love her to death for that. Her brother that you may know is a five-time Emmy winner, sports Emmy winner. He is, most importantly, the husband to Allison and the dad to Zach and Ty and um, Chase and Jake. And uh, you know him, many of you do, as over 25 years on game day. He is this Thursday, September 15th, Thursday night, he will be the voice of the NFL on Amazon with... Al Michaels, and he is a Centerville Elk. Yeah, he's a Centerville Elk and a graduate of the Ohio State University. Would you guys welcome, give Southbrook's welcome to Terry Herbstreet and Kirk Herbstreet. Would you welcome them today as they're coming out? Yeah. Well, I don't know, I, you know, we have to do this twice, gang, but I don't know how you top what you did last hour, so here we go. It was just so strong. There's, um, there's a psalm that we're really rocking into today, called, Psalm 127, one says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So unless you make God the architect of your family, one translation says, you're, you're probably just going to build a shack. You can live in a shack, but a shack's very vulnerable to the elements. And so today is about some remarkable truths that Kirk shared in his book that he that was published last fall, Out of the Pocket. Uh, his dear friend and journalist, Gene Wojciechowski, encouraged you to write it. And I'm glad, because that's why we're here today. I don't think we'd be here today, probably. We've been talking about doing this for years, but... I don't think we'd be here today if that book hadn't been written. Probably not. Because today's theme is transitions. And we're really, the picture of today is, you may have seen this, there's a film that Disney made a few years ago called Inside Out. And it's about a little girl who's 11 years of age named Riley who is forced to move from the Midwest to San Francisco. And she goes into deep mourning for that. And... The, the movie anthropomorphizes joy and sadness and anger and fear and these characters. It's brilliant. What people know about these two is not why the book was written. But it's why we're here today, and that is transitions that we didn't ask for are often what family is about. Terry, I'm going to start with you. You, you, uh, you guys 
in the book, you moved to Centerville. You're a senior, right? You're a senior in high school at Trotwood mm-hmm. Madison, I think you mm-hmm. were. And uh, you moved to Centerville. Explain to Southbrook the context of that move. What is going on? Because this sets the tone for today. And then, Kirk, I'd love for you to elaborate on that. Because mm-hmm. that question opens up this whole thing for why Kirk had such candor in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, our family had gone through a lot of chaos. And uh, my parents were separated and finally divorced when I was 17. And um, my mom was just looking at Centerville thinking, you know, she wanted a really good school system. She was a single mom. So she wanted to get the boys into a school system that would kind of, I think, help her with what, you know, she had to do. Mm-hmm. So that was the impetus for her to, to move. Yeah, yeah. so you're, you're a senior, and Kirk, you're seven and a half years younger. So you're just a little, yeah, I was, you don't know what's going it on. It was second right? grade for me. I was going into third grade. And, and again, I, I referenced this, but if you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, that was kind of our, that was kind of our childhood One in Trotwood. One of the Trotwood. ten greatest films it of was. all time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really summed it up. I mean, especially, I think, for a lot of neighborhoods in the country uh, where kids were outside playing, and that's really all we did. We had that one video game. It was a white football game. And I think yeah, they came yeah, out. Yeah. It was like, that was our only video game I think we had. You know, maybe Pong came out. <laughs> but well, you're not, dating yourself I know. now, man. But we just, we were outside playing constantly. And she was mm-hmm. probably the, one of the oldest. But it was like a tribe of kids. And it was boys and girls. And it was perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why what happened was not maybe a traditional um, abusive relationship or where it got really ugly. It was all of a sudden, at least from my eyes as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old, it was more of just all of a sudden dad moves out and we're driving in a car out of the set from Sandlot, like to never see it again, gone. Mm -hmm. And we lived, you mentioned Westbrook, Mm -hmm. we lived on uh, Waybridge, Drive, mm-hmm. I think it was our street mm-hmm. in Westbrook Village, yeah. and moved to Centerville. Like you said, why? I guess it was because of the schools of the community, mm-hmm. and um, that was the, kind of the beginning of a lot of, a lot of craziness. Yeah. So you talk about in the book that that at that point, Dad didn't say, "I'm out of here." Like there, it was, it was just this har- harsh transition. Nobody meant it that way. No. We'll talk about that for in a moment. Yeah. But there was this. Okay, now you're in Centerville. That began nine schools? Yeah, and from kindergarten to ninth grade, I went to nine schools. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of transition there. A yeah. lot of transition and, there. And not good, I was telling you, it's not good for me because of the way I'm wired. It was, it was not my favorite thing to be every year or twice, sometimes twice in one year, hey, there's a new kid here, and then everyone looks over at you faces immediately red sweat sweat I, I don't like individual attention of any kind and every time I would move it was an introduction and it was just being the new kid mm-hmm. was just not easy for me it served you well and that now you meet so many yeah. people that it kind of prepared yeah. you for yeah that. But going again, through it was tough that's right but on the back the transition end, you yeah. didn't ask for right Terry you bring out the the reality that it got really tough um, tell your part in this, because of some things that were going on, you're basically taking care of Kirk. 
Yeah, and John. I was taking care of my and two John. brothers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell the church hug story. Oh. So you you to give a context because I I know this I know last service it spoke into someone very deeply. Mm-hmm. Tell the church brick hug story. Yeah. I love the way you told and that. It, it's so funny because I. I've never even told my family that until I said it last service. I've never told anybody I that. say things in here that I didn't plan on saying sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I've been here. I go home and Sherry says, why did you say that? <laughs> Poor Sherry. Yeah, um, yeah so <clears throat> my, my parents were good people. They, you know, again, they, they were really good people. They just struggled. And, you know, one thing is about you kind of being like, what do you mean we're leaving? My parents didn't really fight. So it was kind of like they didn't fight in front of us or anything. They didn't, they didn't have good communication. So, but anyway, my dad left thinking that they could maybe work things out better and then he would come back into the house at some point. Um, but my mom was gone a lot. She was working. She was trying to find herself. She just, she just wasn't really home. Um, so I was taking care of my brothers and um, yeah, I just didn't think I could do it. You know, there was one point where, so I just, I, there was a lot of drama at the house. She was home and it was just, you know, very, just very chaotic. And so I left the house and I was crying. You know, when you're a teenager and you're scream crying, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I'm just walking in the neighborhood. I'm crying, crying. And there was a big church um, right at the beginning of our neighborhood. And I just went over to that church, and I didn't intend, I wasn't really talking to God, I was just crying, right? And I just sort of fell into this corner of the church, so it was a brick church, and I just, there was a wall here and a wall here, and I just kind of sunk down, and I started to even saying out loud, I can't do this, I cannot do this anymore, we, there's no money, there's no, like it was horrible, and I, I can't do this, I'm not good enough to do this, I'm not made to do this, I can't. I can't hold on to this anymore. I can't hold us together anymore. And I just felt God go, you know I can hear you, kid, right? Like I can, <laughs> I can hear what you're saying. And it started to rain and I'm still crying and I'm just, but I got strength from that. I mm-hmm. felt him say, you know, I can hear you and mm-hmm. you are good enough to do this and you can do this. And then that's, I think, when I went back to the house and I got the three of us together and said, we're making a pact. Whatever happens, we're staying together. Because I didn't know if there was going to be a custody thing. or I didn't know what was going to happen. But I said, no matter what happens, us three, we're staying together and that's it. I love that and chapter. That it's chapter me. two. I love mm-hmm. that chapter. It's called the pact. That's, that's yeah, it was amazing as to think, you know, if you have kids of your own. She was like 16 years old when she went through that. I mean, it's a lot of... It's a lot of weight on any 16-year-old to, mm-hmm. to be having that conversation with God yeah. about, I, I can't do this. You know, that's tough. It is. And I, you know, I'd <clears> say <throat> that uh, I have a front row seat to something we experienced after last service. One of our young students who, man, she so identifies with your story. And God spoke to her through you today. And it's just so cool to watch that. That's the I get a front row seat and seeing that kind of stuff happen. And, and, and I think it's the power of the book is the vulnerability. Vulnerability is the interface of human connection. Mm-hmm. There is no authentic human connection without vulnerability. And, and for a football dude, you are very open in the book. As a matter of fact, one of the things, Terry, I didn't realize how much you had impact into the book. Uh, Kirk let me know 
for example, that you were the one who talked about, there was a point at which food was a little scarce in the house. I mean, there were some things that there weren't the resources. And one of your, I know, I just, I, I was just, when Kirk's writing about one of your boyfriends was bringing some food over. Speak mm-hmm. into that a little bit, because that's not what people think about Teenagers. Centerville's quarterback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. This, this kind of epitome of suburbia USA, that's not, that's not what you think of as the Centerville quarterback's family life was like at that point. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the quarterback yet, but speak into that a little bit, because I think that's very striking. Mm-hmm. You mean about my friend who helped? Or yeah, just, just about, about your friend, and then Kirk, the interesting anecdote you have to yeah. that. Yeah, speak into that, what that was like to know. I'm trying to piece the hamburger helper together here. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And yeah, there's a lot of hamburger helper going on. Do you like <laughs> not a lot of tuna. hamburger helper now? Not a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually like it. We love okay, manwich. Okay. Manwich so, is our jam. Allison, you're yeah. good. When you yeah. put yeah. it on. Manwich, I love Manwich, we yeah. had a lot. Yeah, 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 well, speak into that because yeah. I, the reason that today is so pertinent is there's this image that people would have, uh, especially of Kirk. Mm-hmm. And he had this golden childhood. For that kid that's out there today who's really wondering if they can make it, they need to listen to this story. Yeah, I mean, her, her boyfriend, who was a guy named Jeff Johnson, who ended up going to the U.S. Naval Academy, went to Trotwood High School, played football. He was a great guy. Um, she, and he, she and Jeff were uh, together for a number of years to the point where I, I almost looked at him like he was a big brother himself. Mm-hmm. And when I just remember from, through my eyes as a five, six, seven-year-old, I just remember him playing all the time, and he loved to play in the yard and play football, and so I, that, that was my mm-hmm. impression. I had no idea she's between the, the bricks and all that. I had, not, mm-hmm. no, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So that's really more of like what you were experiencing with Jeff and you guys mm-hmm. making dinner, you know, yeah, things like that. Yeah, he would just come over and, um, you know, he would just play with the boys and I'd make dinner. We were like a little family, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's funny when I got older and I had kids and I have a son and I was like, man, and I, I just thought if my son wanted to go to some girl's house every single day after school, I'd be like, you know, we'd like to see you sometimes. I mean, that was very generous, you know, <laughs> of his family. Yeah. And I actually tried to connect with um, his mother and I did get a message to her through her. I found her daughter on Ellen on Facebook and I just said, can you please, I'm going to write a long text to you can you pass this along to your parents and just thank you so much for letting him you know you think about teenagers always doing the bad things but teenagers are great people and you know it was really generous of his mom especially to just she must have known what was going on you know Mm -hmm. as a kid you think no adult knows what's going on a lot of adults knew and um she let him come over every single day and and help me and i didn't go to parties i didn't do any of that kind of stuff i I didn't have time no. There was a piece of piecing hope together yep. in, in an overwhelming situation. And I, and I think for the, mm-hmm. you're talking about for people that might be, especially younger people that might be going through some, some tough times, it looks like, how am I going to get out of this? I, I, I think it's, mm-hmm. we talked earlier about grace, and we talked about forgiveness and a willingness to communicate. You know, and I think finding, you know, whether it's a sister or an aunt or a mom or a dad or a coach, like finding an ally who's truly there for you yeah. and who's truly willing to go through some really turbulent times, yeah. that to me is a key. I don't know how 
as a five or an eight or a 12 or a 14 year old when you're going through really, really tough times, how you get through it alone. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, hopefully the church, you know, is there or a teacher. Or a friend. Friend, yeah. uh, relationship with God. See, I, I always feel like when you go through tougher times, you, you either go away from God <clears throat> and, and friends and you get isolated and that's where problems are. Yeah. Or you can be drawn more to God mm -hmm. and, and rely more of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination of... Yeah, let's speak into that for a minute because one of the things, when we, we, when we talked a while back, I said, here's what we're doing with Players Box. Just like a Players Box in tennis, we're the, we're the people there for support. We're behind the player. And so for those of you who don't know, we are really investing in a place that is safe for students who are in artistic, academic, or athletic pressure that they don't, they don't know if they can do it by themselves. And you were very interested in that. Like very interested in the concepts behind it. Why? Well, I think that's a national uh, epidemic. I think that's a big problem, not just here in Dayton, but it's everywhere. And I think that I'm pointing to myself here. I think my generation of parenting, you know, there used to be the helicopter parent, and now there's the snowplow parent. Mm -hmm. The snowplow parent clears any obstacle out of the way of their kid bad teacher, bad coach, bad referee, opposing coach, opposing fan, whatever it is, when they're, these kids are coming up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, instead of allowing them to go through difficult times, they want them to shine. They want them to do well, which is okay, but I really even had to talk to myself about letting them, because you feel a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses around you, mm -hmm. and you have to have, for me, I had to kind of step back and be like, it's okay they failed a test. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay that they didn't make that team. Doesn't feel good, but man, what a growing opportunity for, for, for them. And just be there for them and love them through it. I just think that what you're doing with that organization and, and to give kids a place to go to be real is, is huge. And yeah, I would love to support you in, yeah. in that group. Well, in they already are. So I'll, I'll tell you guys today that uh, Kirk and, and Terry both are, are donating their honorarium for today back to Players Box, which is a lot of money to give back to Players Box, by the way. So thank you guys for saying, hey, we want to do an immediate investment in this. And, but, and but, we, I, but I do think that the pressure is unprecedented right now when you throw in social media. Yeah. And, and you it's real, throw, isn't it? It's very real, and I see it everywhere I go, because I, I have four sons that are from 21 down to 15. So I've really lived this entire era from 2000 on when my twins were born and I've, I've watched it and I've been a part of it. And so I'm not, again, blaming people. I'm saying I'm part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we, we put so much pressure on them for their academics. When we were going to college, if you had a pulse, you were going to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. now yeah. you need like a 4.3 with a 34 on the, yeah, on the ACT. No, no, no and lying, you might, you might right. get in, you that's might right. get in. What? I know. I, and that's Ohio State, respectfully. I know it's a great institution, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I just don't think that if you're a kid growing up in this world, it's so different than what we grew up with. Then the sports, not only, not only make the team, you better, be, you better be hitting third, playing shortstop, you're the point guard, you're the quarterback, yeah. you're the best, we're gonna, we're gonna put it on social media, blessed to receive an offer in fifth grade. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, it's not far it's off. It's really insane. It is. It's insane. And if you're a kid and 
this friend got these grades and this friend got that offer and you're not, oh my gosh, it's like you're in quicksand. And if you have parents that are like, it's not good enough, it's not good enough, it's not good enough, it's no wonder we're where we are. Yeah. And so whatever you're doing, man, I, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, it's, it's, we're seeing it. And last hour, that young lady I was talking to you about, I, I watched her pray with her, two, with her players' box coaches. You know, because it's that person. It takes a community. Yeah. It, it took a community for you, for you. You know, it takes a community. One of the things that I love, love, love about the book is, is your affection for Terry for just taking care of you. I mean, it really comes out, your respect. I, 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 the book made me want to be a better brother, and I know my sisters are listening. They're going to hold me accountable for this, but dang it, you made me want to be a better brother. Wow. You did, because it, your, your respect for each other is very palpable in the book. Well, again, we went through some, some tough times. I used to sleep on her floor. I mean, when I was yeah. you know, going through a lot of those tough tough times. And so I think when you build a relationship, you build a bond, it, it just, it, yeah. it has staying power, yeah. you know, and you know people who are real and, and people who are maybe inconsistent in your life, mm -hmm. you know, and I think as you go through life, you're obviously drawn to the people that have always been consistent, yeah. you know, to you, not, not so much just support, but just being there to listen or just there to, to love you, yeah. you know, and I think she probably feels the same way about me. And we, mm -hmm. it's easy to sit up here and say that that's the way it is, but if you were on the trail with us and, and saw you know, some of the stuff we've seen, it's, it's pretty spectacular that we're still here mm -hmm. for each other and have mm -hmm. each other's back. I, I, I wanna come back to that in a minute, but while we're on Terry, is let's talk about Paris. Because there, there, is, this, there is this, and we, I see it all the time, this savior mentality with the older siblings when they have to do what you had to do, that you can start finding your worth only in saving people. That's the only time you're worthy to, to, until it becomes overwhelming, and then you buy a one-way ticket to Paris. Would you please tell that story, Terry <laughs> Herb Street? Okay. Yeah, the one-way yeah. ticket to Paris. Yeah. But tell that, because there's somebody here who goes, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to fly to Paris and never come back. That's what I want to do. Yeah. But, but how much money did you have, too? Like $250. <laughs> but this is, I'm going to go somewhere with this about talking about stuff, because you didn't. So tell, like, I, yeah. you, you're saying you don't want to tell that? I'm telling you, Terry. No, you no, no, it's okay. It's okay. No, so um, actually, my last blog post, my husband read it, and he goes, I didn't even know all that stuff. So when I, um, you know, I was taking care of my brothers, la, 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 then you graduate from high school and you're supposed to just, okay, go, find, go to college, go find your life. And my whole life was that. That's mm. all I cared about, right? And I, you don't just turn that off and then go care about yourself. So I really struggled. I went to Ohio State first, and then, I mean, I went to Mom, and I went to Franklin University, and I went to UC, and I, I mean, all these schools, and I just kept self-sabotaging. I just, I just couldn't allow myself to succeed. And then one day I had a conversation with somebody and he, and he said, you know, you always tell people to, to reach for their dreams, why don't you do that? What are you doing? You seem lost. And I was like, I am lost. And they said, you know, I wish I were somewhere else. I wish I were like in France. And he goes, well then go. And I was like, okay. 
<laughs> so, um, I, and you did. Yeah, I mean, I was just at a point in my life where I love that. I and I would only say this because somebody last service said you should probably say this out loud. I was going out one way or the other. Hmm. I mean, I was really at a low point. So, um, what I should have done was come back and got in a little apartment and had him live with me because then I. But it all worked out. You're doing okay. Yeah, you're doing okay. <laughs> he, turned, he turned out okay. He's he doing okay. okay. But she said, I no, love what you I, said last service. She said, instead of buying a ticket to Paris, I should have talked to someone. Yeah. I recently connected with people that I was at Ohio State with. I haven't talked to them in 40 years. And I said, you guys should read that because they were in my life right before I left. And none of them knew any of that. And they were my close friends. They didn't know anything wow. I was struggling with. So I got a one-way ticket, I saved up $250, had no idea where I was gonna stay, and I just left. Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't help them. Now I wasn't anyway, I was trying to find my way, but that way I mm -hmm. couldn't, so I would have to do something for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, mm. my parents were like, you're doing what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I gotta go. Kirk, one of the things that really is strong in the book in terms of other people was just your re respect for Coach Greg and Coach Olery and, and, uh, and Coach Corso. And the thing to me that really comes out as a game day watcher is you're, you're always sitting next to Coach Corso. For those of you who don't know, he was a head coach at the University of Louisville, University of Indiana. Great coach. He had a stroke about 10 years ago, I think it was. And Kirk, you can always tell Kirk has, you have his back. You know, and uh, especially in the first years after that when he was kind of yeah, struggling with, yeah. his, with his, boy, his language. Uh, speaking of that for a minute, yeah. because they've been so big in your life when you were this kid <clears throat> that could have gone off the rails. I mean, who, who knows? Mm -hmm. But they were there. Um, and I want, I want to give you a chance to speak into that a little bit because it really comes out in the book, too. Well, see, again, I, my dad was a coach. He coached with, with Woody Hayes and he coached with Bo Schimbeckler and a num Bill Mowry, a number of other coaches. So she and I grew up in a house where we revered a coach, you know, and, and even through all the stuff we went through, there was just kind of, it was, I don't know how you felt about coaches, but I just, if they were hard and demanding, I didn't want to like say, I have my rights, you know, you need to stop mm -hmm. yelling at me. I was just like, sir, yes, sir, kind of, that yeah. was just you the way I was, please them. that was the you way I was them. wired. Yeah. And so when I went through Centerville, that was a, I thought I knew about work ethic until I met Bob Gregg and Ron Ulrey and that staff, and, and they just, they, they, I think not just me, anybody who played for them would tell you, changed, changed my life, you know? And so I've always appreciated that. Tim Engelkay as well at, at Centerville mm -hmm. Baseball. And so when I went through college, and, and I've just been that way, and when I got to ESPN, my first, I wrote this in the book, my first time I, I met Lee Corso, I... Um, I was 25 and I was doing an audition in Bristol, Connecticut um, for college game day. And, it was, and, and they even told me, you're not gonna get the job, but it'd be good for you at your age to go through the experience of this, this big of a uh, opportunity. I was like, uh, I didn't even hear him say, you're not gonna get the job. And I was just like, hey, this will be great. I had no idea what I was doing. You were at WBNS at the time. Yeah, I was at WBNS. And I, they had just hired me in 1995 to be a sideline reporter. Uh, on a new station called ESPN2. So I was doing like sideline reporting. And then I called an arena bowl. Um, I did an entire season of arena football in 95. Kurt Warner, and they did a movie on him recently. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I had no idea at the time I was calling games with Kurt Warner, who's going to become a Hall of Fame quarterback for the Rams. And I, I did games. This is all before game day, all in 1995. So in the middle of that season of arena football, they said, hey, Craig James left game day. We want you to come in. You're not going to get it, but go through it. So I come in. First time I met Lee Corso, he, and again, I was just a guy. I mean, how I'm still on game day, I have no idea. Like Desmond won a Heisman. Mm -hmm. Pollock was a three-time All-American. I mean, usually when you do the job that I do, they're usually some huge name from the field. I was just, you know, I was a good player at Ohio State. Here I am trying to go on a national show. And I walk in there kind of timid and a little uptight. And Lee Corso, Fowler was there too. Man, Lee Corso shook my hand, hugged me. It was like I knew him my whole life. And I never forgot that. So I go on this set, we do the, the, the audition, which lasted five minutes. I'm sweating, like you, 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 you would have thought I jumped into a swimming pool and then sat down because I was just so amped up. And um, you know, we did a nor just a five minute segment and he and I just had like a rapport. So I didn't hear anything for three months and then they, they reached back to my agent and said, hey, um, tell Kirk he got the job and I was doing arena football. Back then there was pay phones. I don't know if people remember pay phones. <laughs> and, I, and I called my, remember I used to have a Sprint calling card, you hit 1-800, whatever, 99, <laughs> yeah. and it goes, da ding and then you dial the number. Yeah. So I called my agent and I said, what's up? And he's like, you got, you got game day. And I was like, what? I'm 25 and I'm just like, I couldn't believe it. And from that, that point on, Lee Corso and I had a rapport mm. that Again, they, when I came on the show, they told me to be like Craig James. Craig James was very argumentative and they mm -hmm. kind of disrespectful. And after my first year, the guy told me on the show, he's like, you're too nice to him. Like, it's, this show's never gonna work. You need to start yelling at him and, and be combative. I was like, you hired the wrong guy. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I, and uh, so I just developed my own rapport with him, which was very different and then he went through, so we became really good friends. And then I ended up getting married. I ended up having babies. I ended up having, so a lot of times we're going to a photo shoot and we're in the back of a car and it's just me and him. And I'm, I don't really talk to a lot of people about personal stuff and I'm opening my heart up mm. to him about, you know, my boys were two months, you know, 28 weeks and they're born two pounds and almost like crying to him about how worried I am. And, he was like talking to Yoda or Don Corleone. Like he would just sit there and <laughs> he'd just sit there. I'm like pouring my heart out to him. And he would just kind of nod his head. Oh, that's so And he'd just kind of pat me on the leg. And then he would have like one sentence. And it was like, oh, okay, okay. Everything's going to be okay, okay. Sweetheart. Yeah, like when, right, it was like sweetheart. he had a pinky ring on, like he's petting a cat, you know, like, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and it, just, it just, the way our relationship was more off camera. Yeah then on, and so he had a stroke. It was really right after he did the Sonny Younger Award. Right. He and I and Chris did the Sonny Younger Award for Centerville, a fundraiser. Like a, a week later, he has a stroke, hmm. and he hasn't been able to speak the same ever since. And he lost use, really, of the, a lot of the right side of his body. Guy's 87, and if he didn't have a stroke, He's 87, you'd think he's 67. Yeah, no doubt. Like he's just There's one of those no guys. And um, just an amazing man. And I, I didn't like have a plan like, hey, I got your back. I think I just, 
watched him, sat next to him, and because of that friendship and that bond, when he would get stuck, because I, I don't want to be like, hold on, I'll fix this. Like, yeah, it's right, not, you right. can't do it's that. Subtle, you don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. That's right. So it's just, yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, a pat You're on the arm. You're talking about Alabama, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just a, little, just a little something yeah. to kind of get yeah. bridge his comment. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's like another dad. I mean, yeah, he's, he's yeah, a special. He comes across that way. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I, I just, to me, the book could be subtitled A Life of Respect because that's what comes out in the book. It comes out your respect for your mom and dad. Yeah. This is not about bashing your family mm-hmm. of origin, your respect for your sister, your respect for your coaches, um, for the opportunities you've been given. I want to say something uh, real quick. When we were having lunch a while back and and you were ticked off about something, and you were going to give somebody the business. What did Coach Corso say? Remember what he said? Well, <laughs> Coach t- Corso. Congra- you're talking about when he said congratulations, or no? When, that was when, one. When there was that's a, there, that's there, a there, funny there, story. A little bit of a, a hassle over maybe <laughs> contractual things, and you were not happy I about. I can't remember. What did he say? Well, <laughs> he said, he, "Well, There's you, so you were going to give somebody the business." Yeah. And, and he, he said, "Kirk, that's not." Oh you. no! That's so. Not you. Yeah, I was. I mean, there's this, why we need people in our life who are yeah. ahead of us, beside us, behind us, all three. Because yeah. he's. He, no, he was. You no, do he that, knows me. It won't be Everyone you. else tells me what I want to hear, and yeah. then he'll tell me, you don't want to do that. You don't, you, you don't want to do that. Have, and he goes, it's not you. And he goes, if you did that, yeah. he goes, it'd be fine. But he goes, you look in the mirror, you wouldn't like Ooh. that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't Ooh. like that. Yeah. I was like, Ooh. Sir, yes, sir. Another Yoda comment. I was like, <laughs> yep. I was just like, <laughs> adjust, adjust. Oh, so <laughs> but it's fun. The, the craziest line of all time is our yeah, dad had, had Alzheimer's. Best. And, he, you know, we figured it out in 09. But, he, he, you know, he's doing okay until about the last year or so. Yeah. Um, he was up in Cleveland and he, he went into, into a, a hospital. And Terry was very involved because I was traveling. And they had just moved him to a, to another place, and it was much better. And it was like looking like he had met some friends, and we were able to kind of feel better, and some nice nurses, much better than the previous facility. And all of a sudden, he woke up, and from what she told me, he just kind of woke up with the nurse. And he said, "My head's hurting," and he kind of sat down. And then a few seconds later, he just kind of fell forward, and he passed away. Mm. So that was a really emotional time for us. And, you know, never really been through anything like that, death of of a parent. And part of it is with her, it's organizing a funeral and dealing with all the responsibilities of stuff. And there's just, you don't have a whole lot of time to to grieve, you know, those first few days, because it's just a lot of stuff. And then when I, I, I'd really not cried other than what she told me she called me and I was in Nashville and then when I called Lee Corso oh my gosh it was like boom and I'm crying like I'm talking I can't breathe crying and he he's on the other end that's a hard place to be when someone's crying that hard and I'm waiting (laughs) I'm trying to regroup and I just can't stop you know and he goes wow congratulations and I was like in the middle of like crying really hard. <laughs> I was like, I mean, he said some crazy she said things. Congratulations. He, he has said some crazy things in this day. And he, congratulations. I was like, I came out of that like, what? I was like, did he say congrats? 
congratulations. And he goes, congratulations. And he goes, and, and what do you, he's 80, that time 84. And he's like, that, that disease can be really bad. It can go on for a long time. Oh. He's not going to know who you are and a lot of pain. He goes, so he went, God took him early. He's like, congratulations. And I was just like, oh, wow. yeah, I was coming from an 80, two or 83 year old, that was an interesting yeah, perspective, but when really I was good. in the middle of that, and he, <laughs> and he dropped the congratulations, congratulations on me, I was, like, I was like, what is he saying? Well, I just said he died, I don't think you caught yeah, that. Yeah. It was he the did. way, if you ever watched our show, it's the way he said it, it was like a whisper, like he's like, congratulations, you know, I was just like, only Sweet. leave. He's only. been huge, I mean, oh, I just know, it's just, huge. it's been huge, and it comes out on screen, that's the, the neat thing. Yeah. I know, you know, a big word with you is grace. It's a big word. It's, it's, a, it's really a thread that runs all the way through the book. And just grace, grace, grace. And, and I know for both of you, your relationship with Christ is so instrumental for that. Terry, again, the hours you have spent in Southbrook Kids loving those little sinners like Jesus is so cool. And I want Southbrook oh. to just thank a hero. Oh. Because you have. You've shown... Jesus said, don't talk about loving me if you don't love my children. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about loving me if you don't love my children. Mm -hmm. And you've done it. And you're, you're, you guys are the heroes of this church, you know. And I just want to thank you for that and just your journey. And uh, Kirk, what, what role does Christ play in this whole story? I mean, you're getting ready to start <coughs> at Amazon. And I, you were telling me a while back, like, I didn't play in the NFL. I'm having to prove myself all over again, which I think is so admirable. You've done it. You've been a success. You don't need to do this, but it's a challenge. And, and Christ is the foundation underneath of that grace that, that you show on screen, I think. I really, really think it comes across. Would you tell Southbrook what Christ means to you in all of this story? Well, first, I think... You have to come to grips for me when you go through everything we've been through and you feel like just a wretched soul, you know, when you feel defeated and you're on your knees and you've made mistakes and you become a person who lives in the public eye and then social media gets introduced to you. Mm. I'm just being real, like, it's really challenging to, to do that, especially when you are a pleaser by nature and you want people to be proud of what you do. And so the toxic world that we currently are in and the cancel culture that we're in, it's, you know, when you live like you or me and you're out in the public, it's kind of like walking around a minefield, you know? And um, my challenge is, you know, that love thy neighbor. And I'm trained in this world to not trust my neighbor. There, there are people here that don't like me because I didn't say something that they wanted me to say about Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And I, ha I had to come to grips with that because it's so not right. It's so not true. And yet for them, it's 100% true. Yeah. And so that used to really haunt me or really struggle with that. And so for me, you know, I, I always went to church. We would go to church. And I was kind of the guy that, would, a lot of times, a lot of years, we were the family would go to Christmas or Easter. And so I didn't really grow up 
really understanding the importance of that relationship until I became a dad, you know, myself, and I realized there's so much more to my life than just my life. You know, now I'm living for, for them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I mentioned to you earlier, Chris Spielman was very instrumental in me really starting to kind of figure out Christianity and the relationship with Christ and how important it is and how it can be a foundation for you through the good and the bad. Yeah. And so, um, boy, there, there are times when I'm really close to him and there are times when I get, like anybody, you get really busy and you, you tend to kind of put it on the back burner and you're, you're focused on your career or your family or whatever it might be. So I just feel like I'm in a much better place right now because there's, there's a, it's like, that, that, I, I guess it's the Holy Spirit. There's something inside there that's constantly aware of the importance of having that relationship. You were driving back from Nashville this week, and, and tell, yeah, tell I was the listening. church what you did. Yeah, you know, just this, yesterday. This is, this is yeah, our relationship. And th this is the church, a lot of times when I'm on the road, is listening to Casting Crowns or Third Day or any, any of the music, Chris Tomlin. And I love to read the lyrics mm -hmm. as, as they're singing. It's, I don't know, just... It's very powerful. We were talking about golden retrievers. Walking in the woods, for me, um, is, is very spiritual. So yeah, I mean, I feel like when I'm in balance there, everything else mm -hmm. seems to kind of be a better place. Real quick, Terry, you first. What do you say to that 16-year-old kid out there who says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm backed against the corner of the brick wall? What, what's your message to her today, or to him? Gosh, I guess kind of what we said earlier is, you know, take it one day at a time. And I would like to say what I said earlier, too, about grace and acceptance. You know, sometimes you have people in your life, whether it's parents or whatever, who are doing the best they can, but, you know, maybe they have a break mm. in their heart or whatever. And don't ever feel like it's because you're not lovable, because you can't get what you need from that person. It's not because you're not lovable, it's because they maybe can't. So just giving other people the grace and just accepting that you're not gonna maybe get that ever from that person. And that that is hard. It's a really, really hard thing, but it's not because there's something wrong with you. Yeah. you know? Kirk, what about? I, I, yeah. I think my big word would be communication. Mm -hmm. the, the importance of being willing to get through. It's easy for the three of us right now to communicate, but when you're in the middle of that, we were talking about storms, it's really hard to open up and be willing to talk to somebody who's wronged you and have a, yeah. an open conversation about why they hurt you. A lot of times people just hold on to those feelings and then they let it just maybe lead to another disagreement and then another one and then they never really open up. We had a lot of, of really poor communication in our family growing up so that when there isn't communication, I think people assume the worst. So I would say communicate, be willing to have those really hard conversations and then if you do, keep going back to being willing to forgive people mm -hmm. and, and hopefully they, it's, it's so freeing for you when you forgive that person who messed up. That, asked, that releases you. Even, yeah, if, they I, don't, even if they don't apologize, yeah. it's about right. you feeling yeah. that toward yeah. them. I asked you guys score. last We're week, right. I said, score. who have you needed to forgive? And neither one of you could answer that. Because 
What? Myself. Yeah, it's just, well, it's just, we've done that. Like, we're not, we're past that. Yeah. Well, well, for me, I think our love for our parents is, we didn't have, you know, a relationship with our parents where it was, you know, like, I don't want to speak for Terry, but for me, I, I told you I didn't resent my dad, even though no. I had problems with my dad. Mm-hmm. I had more of a, um, more of a sadness than an anger. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to forgive my dad. And my mom, I feel like, has always loved me from my, yeah. through my eyes. She's always been there. She's been through a lot. So I don't, I don't have resentment of any kind. It's all about grace, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Now, the next time somebody tells me something, I'm going to go, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that out. It worked with Kirk Herbstreit. I want to see if it works. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's an all-timer. That's, man. A, that's all-timer, such a course. Yeah. Yeah. That's an all-timer. Yeah. Southbrook, would you thank Kirk and Terry for telling their story today? And hoping God spoke to you guys. Kirk's been very public about this. He's got a little bit of a blood clot issue that's going on right now. And uh, I only say that because he's been very public on social media about it. And so Southbrook, a thousand of Kirk Herbstreet and Terry Herbstreet's friends are going to pray for them right now. Are you good with that? Right? <laughs> Let's just lift them up. Father, thank you so much for Out of the Pocket. I think for that book, I just, I, I, for me personally on, on so many levels, it, it, it really spoke. But just uh, made me want to be a better man, made me want to be a better brother. Uh, made me want to be uh, a better leader, and I thank you for that. I thank you for Kirk's vulnerability and humility. I thank you for Terry's contribution to that and her story and how it just so weaves into this, and I think we're better people for hearing her story. We present Kirk to you that you'd heal him because you can, just because you can. And a bunch of us, your children, are all in agreement. We'd love to see him... um, have that taken away, that the, on whatever level, the blood thinner would work, the, at, at, a, at, at a molecular level, you'd go to work because something happens when we pray, and we pray that we would see it in his full, clean bill of health. Thank you again for your grace, because everything that's going to make this world work, this broken world work, it's amazing grace. That's it. And Jesus, you have it in full supply. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's thank Kirk and Terry once again. Thank you, guys. All right.